Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. The human voice is ultra-sensitive. Even a minor head cold or a small amount of stress can make you feel like there's a car alarm going off in your throat. So if the human voice is this responsive to even tiny amounts of change, what happens to it when someone undergoes a shift as massive as gender reassignment? One professional opera singer went from sounding like this... To this. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Chloe Veltman, in for Sasha Coker. This week, we're devoting the whole show to a story about three California classical singers who all happen to be transgender. They've taken enormous risks to live their most authentic lives, and they've navigated one of the most competitive and rigid industries, an industry that has been slow to evolve with the times. Opera is still a very gendered profession, you know? They want to put you in a box. The three of them are also helping to bring about change, not just in the world of classical music, but also beyond it, one aria at a time. Earlier this year, Elliot Franks appeared as a special guest at a transgender singing symposium in San Francisco. Around 100 singers, voice coaches and academic researchers met for a day to share their experiences. Elliot did something that day that took a lot of courage. He stood in front of all those voice experts while samples of his singing recorded at various stages of his gender reassignment process played over the speakers. Elliot shook his head and reddened when he heard the clip recorded about eight months after he started taking testosterone. (laughs) At one point, Elliot's voice coach reached out and took his hand in a gesture of solidarity. The singer's discomfort as he listened to a clip recorded around a year and a half later was even more palpable. And you feel sort of bad 
knowing that you did that to your voice when your voice has been so good to you? That's a recording of Elliot at the height of his powers, singing a solo from Handel's Messiah. In the 1990s and early 2000s, he was one of the San Francisco Bay Area's go-to classical singers. Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra choral conductor Bruce Lamotte worked with Elliot for about a decade and was enthralled by the singer's talent. Elliot's voice was magnificent. He had a very agile voice with an extraordinary range. Back then, Elliot used his feminine birth name and sang traditional soprano and mezzo-soprano parts. But he usually dressed in men's attire and preferred masculine pronouns, in keeping with his belief that a person should not have to conform to one of two standard genders. Elliot has felt this way since he was a kid growing up near Birmingham, England in the 1970s, singing music he loved, like this piece by Handel, in his church choir. As a teen whom others saw as a girl, but who clearly felt differently about his own identity, Elliot says he found the gender-neutral church choir dress code with its baggy, tent-like robes oddly liberating. That was my refuge, really. To be in a situation where I could be myself and at that point sort of relatively genderless. Elliot watched the boys at school with envy, but couldn't quite figure out why. All the other boys would go out and play soccer, and the girls, of which they seemed to lump me in with, had to stay in and do needlework. A heavy silence hung over the singer's formative years around questions of gender identity. Back then, there was just really no information. So you, you sort of feel like you're the only person in the world that feels like that. That feeling of isolation lingered long after Elliot won a full ride to one of the most prestigious music colleges in the UK and busted out of England in the late 1980s on a scholarship to pursue vocal studies in the US. I think... I sort of trained myself to deal with that feeling of being wrong because I knew I had to, to be going on in my career and to do any auditions for anything. I had this female voice and that was what people were expecting to see. And I cleaned up pretty well back then. He says he felt fairly comfortable with continuing on in this way for a long time. If I could have stayed just as I was and done all my auditions in a suit and tie... That would have been the best of all possible worlds, you know. But as he headed into his 40s, Elliot experienced a professional and personal crisis. He lost what he calls his most stable and meaningful job and broke up with his longtime partner. He started worrying about other people's perceptions of his gender identity. I found as I got older, I, I was more concerned with how other people felt. If I told them about myself or they found out through other channels. Um, it bothered me that it would make people uncomfortable or upset people. Elliot had a couple of gender reassignment surgeries. He also started thinking about taking testosterone. 
Voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider specialises in working with transgender singers at the University of California. She says when someone like Elliot takes testosterone, it not only makes him hairier and increases his muscle mass, it also lowers his voice. The testosterone thickens the vocal fold. But learning a new, lower-pitched way of speaking and singing often comes with enormous challenges. Some people describe it as feeling locked in. They're not quite sure how to navigate the lower voice. Elliot agonised about what taking testosterone might do to his beautiful soprano voice. I often heard people talking to me about how moved they were about my performance how vocally I had moved them, but also dramatically, and I always took that as a great compliment. But he figured he was aiding out of his favourite opera roles anyway. I thought, well, you know, I'm never going to be a young man. That's gone. (laughs) But I can at least be a middle-aged chubby guy and maybe feel a little more comfortable in my own skin. So at the age of 50, Elliot started taking testosterone. Elliot regrets not starting his hormone treatment earlier. He says his voice might have adapted more easily to the changes when his vocal cords were younger and more flexible. He has largely withdrawn from professional singing. Choral conductor Bruce Lamott says, though it's hard, he understands Elliot's decision. On a personal level, I knew that this was what was in his heart, that who you are is much more important than what you can do. And I, I did mourn the loss of that beautiful instrument because it was really exceptional. Elliot Franks has gone through another radical shift. These days, he makes his living arranging funerals. He quite likes his new job. Bespectacled, warm and smiley, Elliot says he has a knack for cheering people up. If I've got a grieving person and I can get them to smile, I feel like I'm doing something really good because for a minute, for a second, they're out of the, the angst and the, uh, the pain. Do you, do you grieve? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I grieve the ease of singing. Um, I grieve not being able to participate in some of the groups that I participated in because they're largely my family. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Chloe Veltman, in for Sasha Coker. Today, a story about three California transgender singers in search of their true voices. Elliot Franks lost his career as a professional singer when he underwent his gender reassignment process. But it doesn't always have to be that way, as we're about to find out. Opera has a long history of gender play. Women have performed young male roles for hundreds of years, like Nellie Melba as the lovesick youth Carabino in Mozart's Marriage of Figaro way back in 1910. Yet the industry still mostly observes rigid gender codes when it comes to casting. But then there's Lucia Lucas. She's a baritone. Tulsa Opera in Oklahoma recently cast her as Don Giovanni, a part that always goes to a man. Lucia and Elliot Franks go way back. They both sang together at Sacramento Opera before they started their hormonal transitions. So when Elliot heard that his friend was about to make history as the first trans person in the US to star in an opera classic, he bought a plane ticket to Oklahoma to watch her in action. 
Over breakfast in a diner the day after Lucia debuted as Don Giovanni, the two reconnected and talked about their journeys. They compared notes about how they dealt with their families around their transitions. For myself, I was so... I was so nervous, probably, I think, of what my family's reaction would be that I actually had my double mastectomy without telling. I didn't ask for permission from them. They didn't have... Any say in the matter. They didn't have any say in the matter at all. No. Right. No, this is my life. I'm doing this. And there's the door. Right. You know? Right. Like Elliot, Lucia says she'd been wrestling with questions about her gender identity since she was a kid growing up in Sacramento. My mom caught me with makeup before. My dad found my stash of girls' clothes. It was a difficult time. Lucia started singing in high school. She sang baritone and mostly presented as a man. She almost came out as transgender in college, but her career was starting to unfold and she fell in love with a fellow opera singer, a woman. They got married, so Lucia decided to put the decision off. I don't know, I guess I just sort of thought, like, maybe I can have this, quote, normal life. Lucia moved to Germany in 2009 because there were more opportunities for opera singers there. There are so many people that would love to have that, to be a working artist, you know, where they make at least enough money to live and continue doing their art full time. But it wasn't fulfilling for me. She was about five years into a steady, salaried job as a baritone with a highly regarded German opera house when she finally decided she had to come out. Lucia chose the splashy opera ball for the occasion. It was May 2014. One of her company's artistic directors, Jan Linders, says she made quite an entrance. We were startled. She came fully dressed as a woman, made it clear she wanted to be addressed as Lucia from that day on. He says after they got over the initial shock, the company grappled with what to do about Lucia. Where should be her dressing room? Should it be in the ladies' or the gentlemen floor? Um, how should she be addressed in program books? How could we convey this private change to directors that would cast her? Lucia says the opera company ultimately decided not to renew her contract. Her former employer isn't commenting on that. Lucia started taking estrogen and underwent surgery. She embarked on a freelance career, singing swaggering Wagnerian baritone roles like Wotan. Though her professional status is steadily rising, she's suspicious of the reasons companies give, if they give any, for failing to follow through on promised auditions or for dropping her from their roster. You know, nobody is fired for being trans. They're fired for being, you know... 90 seconds late, or not complying with the uh, dress code regulations. Earlier on, we heard how taking testosterone is an option, albeit a risky one, for trans men seeking to lower their voices, like Elliot Franks. But it's a different story for trans women hoping to sing in a higher, more traditionally female range, says voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider. For trans females, taking female hormones does not actually change the voice. She says surgery on the vocal fold is a possibility for people who want to sing higher, but it's a major risk. The outcomes are not always predictable, and we don't know if it's going to impact that accessibility to the upper range. 
Some vocalists can train their voices to sing in different registers. We'll hear from someone who's been doing just that later on. But that's not the path baritone Lucia Lucas took. She's considered the possibility of training her voice to sing soprano and has fantasised about playing Wagnerian heroines like Brunhilde, performed here by the great Welsh opera singer Gwyneth Jones. If I could wake up tomorrow and sing Brunhilde, that would be amazing. Does it work that way? No. Lucia, who's 39, looks very different today from what she looked like before the surgery and hormones. She has a mane of light brown curls and favours bright red lipstick. But her bread and butter, that awesome voice, is just the same. Lucia says she often gets compliments at auditions. But the nice words haven't always translated into contracts, so she often dons fake facial hair and men's clothing for auditions to prove she can play guys. A lot of people are really confused because they have Ms. Lucia Lucas on their paperwork as a baritone, but I'm presenting with a beard and masculine attire. But her efforts are starting to pay off. She's landed a lead role with the English National Opera this October and her schedule is booked out with singing engagements for the next three years. Lucia says the exposure she's been getting has been useful for her career. But she says it may be many years before singers like her will be able to shake off the buzz that surrounds them because they're trans. I had a theatre director in Germany say, oh my gosh, this trans thing, it's so hot right now. I don't want that. I want it to be not a thing. When she's not pushing opera companies to reckon with their biases, Lucia has become something of a mother hen to other classical singers working through gender transition, like Brianna Sinclair. We just kind of developed this bond, and I, hopefully one day I'll be able to sit with her you know, face-to-face and just have a girl-to-girl talk. The two singers have become pen pals. Brianna lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. She says Lucia mailed her a card and healing cream after her facial feminization surgery a few years ago. Unlike Lucia Lucas, who decided to continue singing with her existing baritone voice, Brianna made a different vocal choice for her transition. I do have around a four octave range, so I could choose to sing baritone if I wanted to, but no, that's just not who I am. Remember, while testosterone lowers the human voice, estrogen doesn't make it go higher. Taking estrogen has no impact on the voice at all. So hitting those high notes is all about training. Cisgendered males can also train themselves to sing up high. They're known as countertenors. But it's a different sound. Brianna doesn't want that sound. In fact, her greatest fear, she says, is being labelled a countertenor. I've been through so much within my transition and who I am that I want the world to see me as a woman and as a trained classical singer singing soprano repertoire. Hang on to your hats. Here we go. So... Brianna has been taken under the wing of Sherry Greenwald, one of the top opera coaches in the country. 
They meet two or three times a month for a lesson, usually at Sherry's cosy office at the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco, where they work on many things, like testing the limits of Brianna's range. That's how you want to do it when you're singing any piece. Where it's comfortable, you give them everything you can. Brianna is in her early 30s and starting to hit her stride as a singer. In 2015, she became the first trans vocalist to sing the national anthem at a professional sports event. It was an Oakland A's game against the San Diego Padres. Brianna's made solo appearances with important groups like the San Francisco Symphony and is scheduled to make her professional opera debut in Toronto early next year. Brianna started out singing hymns and gospel songs in her local Southern Baptist church in Baltimore. The pastor would always call me up to sing a solo and all the church would be like, oh my God, and falling on the floor and crying. And it was just dramatic. Brianna's home life was dramatic in a different way. She says her father didn't like the fact he had an expressive kid who preferred playing with dolls to playing sports. He would say, I don't want my child to be a faggot. And so if I did something that was abnormal or different, he would, you know, take me in the back room and just beat me silly until I bled. Brianna says the regular beatings eased up after her parents got divorced when she was around 13. She got accepted to the Baltimore School for the Arts and soon found her community among the crowd of misfits. But she continued to struggle with her identity there, especially when it came to singing in the choir. Brianna was stuck with the guys in the tenor section, and it felt wrong. And so I continually fought with who I was. It was also at high school that she came face to face with a transgender woman for the first time. I was just like, oh my God, like she's so gorgeous. Like I didn't know that even existed. Brianna went off to the California Institute of the Arts for undergrad. It was during her junior year there, with the help of friends, that she began her physical transition. I had like a party when I got my first hormones at CalArts. She knew she'd embarked on a difficult journey. I'm six foot two, so my transition for me took a lot of work to get to where I am today. It wasn't just a question of taking hormones and undergoing surgery to transform her appearance into the statuesque, glamorous woman she is today. Brianna's transformation basically turned her entire life upside down. My family kind of disowned me, so I didn't have much support. During her transition in the summer of 2010, she hit a low. Brianna says she'd saved up and flown across the country with a plan to study singing with a coach in New York. She says the lessons fell through. The coach stopped returning her emails after she told him she was transitioning. Then a roommate threw all of her stuff out onto the street. He said that he felt uncomfortable with me living there because of who I was. Brianna was homeless for more than two months in New York City. She says she sometimes slept in Central Park. Her only belongings were a couple of dresses and a black purse she'd managed to rescue from the trash. I put aside the singing because, you know... When you're homeless and you're not getting employment and you're on the street, your mind is, is focused on survival. One day, 
something unbelievable happened to Brianna. The sort of thing that usually only happens in the movies. There was a gentleman who saw me on the street. They got to talking. And so I told him that I was a developing opera singer and I was training at CalArts. And so what he did was he wrote me a check. Brianna says this knight in shining armor didn't want anything in return for the price of the one-way plane ticket back to Los Angeles. There was no sexual exchange. So it was just really random, out of the blue. He just wanted to see her graduate. So she returned to California to finish her degree. And so if it wasn't for him, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't be here today. Brianna texted him her undergrad degree certificate and eventually her master's certificate from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music too. They occasionally still talk. We live in a world where more than one in four transgender people have lost a job due to bias. The rarefied world of opera with its strict casting codes and ridiculously high barriers to entry is probably one of the most cloistered professions around. Brianna Sinclair is African-American, so she feels the lack of diversity more acutely than most. In the classical world, there's still other issues that we have to deal with first before we get to the transists, because there is a history of racial discrimination is not a diverse genre of music. And I don't see many African-Americans or many like you know, Asian women or Latino women playing lead roles. Lucia Lucas, the successful baritone we met earlier in the story, has been using her platform to advocate for greater inclusivity both within and beyond the world of opera. In a recent speech she gave, the singer says she didn't once use terms like trans, gay, lesbian or queer. Because I wanted to make it an inclusive speech and not an exclusive speech. When we support each other, it's better for everybody. As for Elliot Franks, his voice is coming back. Here he is performing live at the Transgender Singing Symposium earlier this year. He's also singing with and mentoring other trans singers as a member of New Voices Bay Area, a chorus for trans, intersex and genderqueer singers. Elliot says he loves the ensemble's sense of camaraderie and the conductor's flexibility when it comes to doling out the parts to a bunch of amateur singers whose voices are often in flux. And the good thing about it is no matter where one's voice is in transition, you can move to a, a part that you can sing most of. And he also enjoys putting his many years of professional singing experience to good use, helping his fellow singers in the choir explore the uniqueness and beauty of their new voices. And that's the California Report magazine. 
Special thanks to the makers of Lucia's Voice, a feature-length documentary coming in 2020 from Kirkpatrick and Kinslow Films, directed by James Kickleiter. You can see photos of all three singers on our website, californiareport.org. Our engineers this week are Rob Spate and Seal Muller. Our director is Susie Racho. Our intern is Asal Asanipour. This story was edited by Victoria Maleon. The editorial team also includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay and Holly Kernan. I'm Chloe Veltman. Sasha Coco returns next week. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.